Welcome to Habitual Routine. I'm your host, New York Roadrunners coach, Anique Lamar. Can you believe we're at episode 10? For many of you, that means you are racing the virtual TCS New York City Marathon very soon. But between now and race day, you have a taper period coming up. And so that's what we're talking about on this episode. It is everything taper related. It's going to be the physical side of tapering, what it actually means biologically. And it's going to be the mental side of tapering, how you can emotionally prepare during this time. So the goal for today it's to help guide you through the taper process. And we are going to bring in some experts who are going to help us. First, we're going to chat with Heidi Skolnick of Hospital for Special Surgery, and we're going to deep dive into the physiological process of tapering. And then we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to chat with Stephanie Bruce, professional runner, and she's going to unpack the mental side of tapering. And for many of you, the taper might be an old friend. You've gone many miles and you've had many taper periods. For other listeners, this might be the first time that you're actually considering this pause at the end of your training. And it's not really a pause. It is a scheduled um, backing off of mileage, right? And it's this, this sort of recovery period. And coaches love to talk about tapers. We all have our little funny phrases we use because we really want runners to do it. And so, you know, Coach Roberto, he's not here with us. Uh, he's still on paternity leave, so I'll have to quote him. But he always says, it's better to be 10 miles undertrained than one mile overtrained, right? It's better to have a little bit something left than to be uh, in the red and actually be overtrained. Um, I, my college coach, I, I think I say this all the time, he used to say, the hay is in the barn. This is a common phrase, right? It means that you have harvested all your good work, you have put it in its storage facility, and you don't need to, I guess, shove more hay into that barn. Like, it's good. Leave it alone. Don't try and sneak in a secret run. Don't do a secret workout. And actually, um, just do the relaxed training as you lead up to race day. Uh, it's really popular these days. Uh, I think it's like more of the CrossFit crew saying this, but it's like the gains are in the resting and this whole idea of gains and actually progressing physically. Uh, but the idea of gains are in the resting. So no matter how your coach says it, the point is that the taper process should be respected. It is one of those holy elements of a training plan. And I'm so excited to talk about why it's actually physiologically uh, beneficial for you to do it. And we're going to help you navigate it mentally because sometimes people get tripped up on the mental side. But before we we go there, the most common question we get about the very last part of a training plan is, Coach, Coach Anique, why don't I run that 26.2 mile distance before race day, right? Super common. Uh, if we think about the principle of uh, you know specificity, it says you should do your event. You know, If you're doing a sprint, you should sprint. If you're running long, you should run long. So why don't we do the marathon distance before race day? And the answer to that is 26.2 is a really large burden on your body. You know that if you've done it before, if you're thinking about doing it, if you've ever watched the end of a marathon race, like you know it's a burden on your body. And those couple extra miles, right? Whether it's, you know, you're going up to 18 or 20 miles in your long run, if you tried to tack on six, you know, four to six more miles, that would be exponentially more challenging. And the recovery time that would be required is significant. So you really need to say, is four to six miles worth of longer running worth it? And the answer is no, because the recovery time would be substantial. You talk to marathoners and it's about a day per mile to recover for the marathon. So if you're, it's almost a month to recover for the marathon. So if you're thinking about doing a marathon and you've got a long run, 
uh, it can't be back-to-back marathons. You got to build in more time and you've got to respect that. And this taper period is going to help you respect letting your body get up to 100% and be the best prepped it can be for race day. So let's get into it with our very first guest. Heidi Skolnick has been part of the Women's Sports Medicine Center at Hospital for Special Surgery for over 20 years. Heidi's earned two master's degrees in exercise physiology and human nutrition, and she's a fellow with the American College of Sports Medicine. Heidi has worked with the New York Knicks, the Giants, the New York Mets, and she's worked with the NHL, the MLS, the WNBA, Olympic Collegiate High School, and recreational athletes. She's run the gamut. She's worked with all these fantastic athletes. So now let's talk with Heidi. Thank you so much for joining us today, Heidi. It is a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're, we're so excited because the goal of today's chat is to really focus on the physiological process of tapering, and we really are looking to understand some of the physical benefits of the taper period in marathon training. So let's jump right in, and uh, we'd love to get specific, but let's start a little bit more macro. Why is tapering and recovery at the end of a training cycle important? So just as you said in the question, that's exactly what it does. Tapering allows your body to rest, recover, and get ready for the longest run that you are gearing up for. And it also allows your body to what we call super compensate when it comes to fuel. And that allows your muscles, your liver, your, your muscle glycogen, your liver glycogen to be stocked so that you're fueled for that 26.2 miles ahead. And so like that's uh, that super compensation, because I think that's a great word. We referenced that earlier in the season, but it's the idea that you get a whole boost, right, with rest and recovery. Absolutely. Right. That you can't do when you're depleting, when you're doing run, when you're running every day, you're depleting and then you're trying to replenish, but it, you, you're not going to super compensate without that rest. My coach, my college coach used to say, the hay is in the barn, which is a less technical term. <laughs> He'd say, the hay is in the barn. Don't put more hay in the barn. You can't fit more hay. You got to stop. And and that is just saying, like, your body's got all the things it needs. It needs to now process it. So I like how you say it better. Um, all right. So so biologically, what is happening to our bodies uh, when we begin the taper period? We're As coaches, we're always trying to convince runners to do the taper period. They kind of want a Rocky style montage all the way to the, you know, the start of the race, but we want them to rest and recover. What is biologically happening? So let's start with that compensation, but although that comes a little bit closer to, to, you know, the week of, but, you know, an untrained individual can hold on to about 80 units of glycogen of that, right? When you eat carbohydrate, carbohydrates turned in and held onto in your muscle is glycogen. Um, so when you train, there's training adaptations, there's, there's advantages that are coming that you are getting for all of that hard work. And that means now you can actually hold on to more carbohydrate. You can hold on to about, it's not exact and there's a range, right? But let's say you could hold on to 80. If you're untrained now, it's 120 units in your muscles. When you're super compensated, you could go up to about 200 units. And that's the fuel you're using when you're running. You want to have that energy to so you don't hit that proverbial wall and also because so you can feel good and enjoy when i say enjoy the run (laughs) enjoying the run but so that you can really feel as good as you can during this wonderful accomplishment and and so on the flip side it would be that if you don't give your your body this moment to to have this you know boost in glycogen stores you're actually going into the event depleted is that correct well you're certainly not going you may not be depleted but you're not going to be as ready Okay. Um, you're not going to be able, you're not, you're not giving yourself every advantage you could. I mean, I work with athletes all the time who don't know how much better they can feel. You know, as athletes, we can tolerate so much. We have high, um, 
tolerance pain, you know, pain, like level. Um, we overlook things. And I know we're going to circle back to that. And so you don't even know how much better you can feel when you're not really incorporating all of these tips that are here to help you do that. And one is to go in as well stocked as you can. But to your point before, it's not just about the glycogen. It's also that tapering allows you um, to even like your immune system is somewhat suppressed from all of that. So your your immune system comes back to even because, you know, you're, you're at a higher risk for getting a cold right before or after. Um, so you want your immune system working. There's enzymes and antioxidants and hormones, all of that, which has sort of been depleted from all of the, this training. And you want them to return to optimal rate, um, ranges during a taper. And there's muscle damage that you want to have recovered. So again, you're sort of repaired and going in feeling strong. Heidi, that's a great distinction that you made, right? Because sometimes, you know, you you are biologically stronger, but sometimes you feel terrible during a taper and you have these sort of phantom pains. Why is this happening to people during these taper periods? Why do they feel these pains? Well, one is that they have time to feel the pain. Like, you know how much time training takes and it's distracting. Um, and I think that there's two things. One is there's physical and one, you know, it's part physical, part psychological, which doesn't mean it's not real, but we begin to sort of get anxious about all of this training we've done and are we ready for what's coming up? And that anxiety leads to tension and that can lead to real real pain. Um, but then there's muscle aches and cramping and stiffness and discomfort and all of those niggles that we call it, you know, that that happen that you you've you've had before, but you maybe haven't focused on. And now I think there's just this time when we begin to focus and go, oh, we're not ready. Are we ready? We're not ready. Oh, look, I have this pain. Oh, that'll keep me. So, you know, there's, there's, and then also everything we're talking about in terms, you know, your immune system is, is coming back. And, and with that, you might be, there's, there's some fluid retention that may be coming on as your storm or glycogen. And now you're feeling a little loggy and all of these things. So it's really important to sort of distinguish between what is real pain and what are sort of the things that come along with being an active person. So, you know, if you, if you really are having sharp pain, yes, you want to get that checked out. You know, if there's swelling, if you it's interfering, like you can't walk, your gait is is off. Um, yeah, you know, if it's a little ache, if it's a little sluggish, that's okay. Like you're gonna work through that, right? Yeah. So you do want to differentiate what's really, really somehow just showed up versus this is stuff that's bothered me before, and it's not really something. You know, take a bath, relax, meditate think of your run, be, be as prepared as you can be and know like you got this. Yeah. I think that that idea that like, you know, the emotional anxiety can manifest itself physically and like tension in your shoulder muscles and your back. I just think that's such a, such an apt point because I think we like to think them as separate, right? But they're all tied together and that anxiety definitely does fuel how we physically feel. Um, you know, let's think about this, you know, this runner who's had these training cycles, but has never put in a taper. And, you know, as I said before, sometimes it's really hard to convince runners to stop, you know, before the race and not just a few days, but actually built in, you know, a week or so uh, recovery period. So they get this, this super compensation and all the benefits of their training. Um, how do we convince them to, to take a pause? 
And I think to your point, you know, and again, it kind of goes back to, to these phantom pains is that one of the ways some of us really deal with our anxiety is to go out and run, right? Is to get, we release it that way. And so it, it's, there's the, the added level to it. But I think if you keep your goal in mind and why you've trained and hopefully you've been following a training plan, like you, it was very um, intentional why you had shorter runs, longer runs, you know, hard days, easy days, rest days, that was all strategic. And the taper is strategic as well. And there is studies that have shown that you will have as much as a 3% improvement in your performance with tapering. So it's very, you know, there is a point to it. Um, and if you want to feel better and see how much better you can do, then I, you know, there's, there's a reason for it. Like, check it out. If you haven't done it, try it. And I, you can, next time you could do it differently if you want. I, I love that. I'm going to get a t-shirt that says potentially 3%, you know, uh, improvement with taper because I, I think, you know, there's the more is more is more um, to trading. Sometimes we get in this, you know, this feeling and, and the idea that there is a real benefit to, to pausing. Um, I love it. I love there's, there's, uh, I read this, I don't know which athlete to attribute it to, but this idea, you know, that it's better to actually go into a race under trained and healthy than over trained and fighting illness or injury and fatigue. And I think that's a really hard thing for, again, anyone who has been training so hard, there's a fear that the tapering will result in them not being prepared. And when it's exactly the opposite, it's, it's, a, it's, it's what you need to do to be your best to be prepared. Yeah. It's a little bit of a, a, I think a trust fall the first or second time you do it. And then you recognize you do get that performance boost. Uh, Let's talk fuel, Uh, you know, because I think this is one of the top questions we get as coaches. Uh, Fueling during a taper, how does your diet change during this process? Well, the whole idea to the taper is that as you are doing that, that you're doing less, but you're stocking. So you don't need to be eating less, right? That isn't the idea. The idea is that you want to continue as hopefully you have is eating a high carbohydrate diet. Um, we do know that most, many athletes under fuel as their mileage increases, as opposed to increasing their fuel as they increase. So you do want to be, and, and this is kind of technical if you're not figuring out what that is, but it's seven to 10 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight. A kilogram is your weight divided by two, um, 0.2. And, you know, dividing that up in meals and snacks throughout the day around your training before and after's recovery. Um, and you, you don't want to cut back because you've cut back on your miles. It's the opposite of that. It is that taking in as you've done less that allows you to build up. All right. So let's think about, uh, you know, what should be altered. Maybe it's nothing, but like, should you in any way alter your diet as you're coming up to race day itself? Is there anything you'd recommend in terms of fueling? Uh, Well, I think there's a few things. One is that absolutely continue to make sure you're getting an adequate fluid that you want to be having that adequate carbohydrate. You're still having your protein. You're still having your fat. You know, the week before, the two weeks before you're having mixed meals and fiber and all your, you know, all the types of foods you want. The few days before, depending on how acclimated you are, you can cut back a little bit on fiber. You still want to have your protein. You don't need to load up the night before. If you've been doing this appropriately, tapering and eating adequately, you know, getting in that carbohydrate throughout the day, you're going to be stopped. And so the night before you don't need to do a big pasta load. In fact, many athletes 
benefit and feel more comfortable if they've had, you know, that, that, that 24 to 48 hours before they have somewhat, I don't even want to really say loaded because it's appropriate amount, but their bigger meal is breakfast, lunch, and their dinner is actually a little bit more moderate so that they could sleep easily and um, wake and have their pre-race meal. Uh, and, and if they've done it well, they're stocked. And if you've waited for the night before to try to load, you've waited way too long. Absolutely. So it's, it's the idea, like, you know, and I love how you say it's a, it's not like loading, right? It's like the appropriate level. I think we're, I uh, think that carbo loading goes hand in hand with, you know, the day before the race, but it's really saying if you haven't been doing it, you can't cheat it. It's not like a, a cheat code that you can sneak in at the very last minute and get those energy stores. So when you head out, you got more to go. You really got to be thoughtful about that. I think that's a, uh, that's such an amazing um, just way to frame it, not the loading. Um, and so I, I have a follow-up question, which is like, what are some of the uh, things that you see athletes do that are detrimental to performance when it comes to fueling in this time? Like, are there sort of common missteps that we can sidestep or, or just be aware of so we don't fall into that, that trap? I think there are a few things. One is, um, and we hear this all the time, like don't try something new on race day that you haven't done in any of your longer training runs, right? You don't want to find out that that new product didn't actually sit well with you, you know, or that food that you thought your friend is using doesn't actually agree with you. So, so practice it. You still, we still have, you know, you still have some runs ahead, practice it now. Um, use your, use your last long run as your real practice for your timing as well as, as amounts. And, um, you need to be sure that you're, that you're thinking that you've really thought through your strategy for race day, that you've chunked it and know how much you're taking in sodium as well as fluid. So you're not over drinking. You don't want to dehydrate. You don't want to taking too many carbs, like you don't want to be taking in gels and then taking in sports drinks and not really have it have a plan. Um, the other, the flip of that are those who are during their taper getting anxious about not being active and start eating too little, start to use it as a time to kind of cut back, want to go in light. Um, and it's true as you taper and you, and you, begin to sort of take in that carbohydrate, each carbohydrate, there's a, it takes water with it. And so you do feel, you, you do have more water. You might gain a little bit of weight. That's just the water being, that just shows that you're, that you're getting stocked um, of muscle. You know, your muscle glycogen is, is getting full. So don't flip out about that. Again, like stick with the plan. So, but it's one, it's sort of the extreme. It's either under eating or like loading to like without, thinking of like taking it throughout the day and waiting too long. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like that, it's that planning that's so important. We've been uh, really, you know, we feel a little bit like broken records. We're like, know your plan, be ready for your plan, plan for a plan. You know, it's, it's just yeah, getting right. our, our athletes to understand that they have to know this stuff um, and they should really uh, tune into it now so they can be prepared later down the road. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Heidi. It's been great to really unpack the taper and and I'm just, you know, convince our runners that they should take it easy as they lead up to their race. Yeah. And it's not take it easy though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. It's not like I, I try to help them understand you're it's not that you're taking it easy. You're you're I wish I had a better like way to phrase it. It's not coming to mind now. It's not taking it easy. You're you're doing what you should be doing. You're do, like the same way your rest days are planned in. 
as part of your, a rest day is a training day. It's just a different way. It's just different part of the training. Your taper is part of the plan. It's not easy. It's like, it's, it's strategic. I love it. I think that's a perfect distinction. Well, thank you so much, Heidi. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you to Heidi for a great chat. We talked about the physiological benefits of tapering, but let's switch gears and talk about the mental benefits of tapering. Steph Bruce is our guest, and she's going to break this down with us, and she is really well positioned to do that, as she's one of America's most popular female distance runners, and for a good reason. Her open approach to social media, writing and speaking has made her a role model and inspiration to runners everywhere. She coaches athletes of all ability levels online and hosts, along with her husband, Ben, a running camp in Flagstaff, Arizona each summer. She's also well-known as one of the co-founders of Picky Bar, and in addition to her business endeavors, she is really, really fast. She is personal best of 110 in the half marathon and 227 in the marathon, and she, you know, those times are ridiculous, and so of course they make her one of the nation's very best. Let's chat with Steph. Thanks for joining us today, Steph. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat. Yeah, you've got a lot of uh, coaching expertise, athletic expertise. So what we really want to talk about is uh, tapering and the mental process behind tapering. And we've identified three different types of tapering athletes. You know, they fall into these buckets. One is athletes who are relatively unaffected, like they don't seem to notice any mental changes. The second are athletes who are a little anxious through the process. And then there are those who are super anxious. What type of athlete do you fall under during your taper period? I am definitely in between a little anxious and super anxious. It's a hard thing to admit because you want to think like, oh, I'm totally cool. I've been doing this for 12 years, running professionally like I got this. But I mean, it is like clockwork every time before a marathon, even though I know what's coming, I'm still doubting things. I'm questioning. I'm having the taper crazies. Um, Yeah. So I'm probably on the spectrum of closer to super anxious, even though I would like to uh, pretend I know what I'm doing, but it still gets the best of me. Well, I think part of it's just naming it and knowing it. So when it happens, you're like, oh, right on schedule. Um, You know, I I think folks would love to know what your taper process looks like. Everyone has this sort of individualized taper process. But what does yours look like physically, which might inform what happens to you mentally? Sure. So on our team, we typically have, uh, I would say, a two-week taper process. So two weeks uh, prior to our big goal marathon, um, we will start to reduce the volume, uh, reduce the intensity, but it's very gradual. You kind of don't even notice. Uh, So for example, if I was running between like 100 and 115 miles a week, that two weeks before I might run 90 miles, which I know some people will say, (laughs) okay, well, you're still ridiculous. Like that's, that's so much, but it's all relative to like what your workload, you know? So for someone who maybe logs 50 miles a week, that might look like 35 miles um, for those two two weeks out. And then we kind of keep the intensity up because you are getting ready to race a marathon um, and you don't want to be afraid to, you know, still keep that volume there. We're still doing probably workouts from six to 10 miles of workload. And then a week out is when we really start to pull back. And I call that the, um, that's the like, okay, I'm pulling back way too much. I'm starting to question everything. I feel sluggish. I, I feel like I lost all my fitness. Have I even been training these last 12 <laughs> weeks? Um, that's definitely like the 10 days out to seven days out is definitely when the uh, taper tantrum comes out for me personally. 
The taper tantrums, I love that. Um, and you're right, there's like a ton of emotions that pop up during this process. And if you're a new runner, I think it surprises a lot of a lot of new runners. They're like, what is this anxiety I'm feeling? Um, so it's anxiety, they feel restless, excited, impatient. How do you or how would you advise other runners to manage these emotions during this process? I would tell them that it's so normal. I mean, I think that it's almost like a rite of passage. Going through a taper for a marathon is what every runner goes through, um, but it can vary. And so you almost don't want to give too much emotion to it because, you know, you've had people where an injury pops up and that, that might be like an injury in their head because they're just more hyper aware of how their body's feeling. So they're thinking, okay, something's wrong with my calf. Um, but chances are you're just pulling back in volume and pulling back in mileage and your legs are so used to running more that, yeah, you're going to be hypersensitive to, you know, other parts of your body. Sometimes you can have a little restlessness. So you're not sleeping as much because again, you're used to that full training load and now you're pulling back. Some people, uh, lose their appetite and they don't want to eat as much. Um, but one thing that we try to encourage is you don't necessarily have to eat more, but I would keep eating the same amount, even though you're tapering, because that is when you're building up that glycogen storage and you're trying to fuel your body before the big day comes. So even though you're not feeling like as hungry, you want to keep those calories coming, keep carbohydrates, fats, proteins, um, keep that plate full and then keep your electrolytes and your drinks coming because yeah, you want a full tank of gas uh, before you step to that starting line. Absolutely. I love that. We were talking to Heidi about that and that glycogen stores are so important. So I, I love that uh, even if you feel like you, you don't want to eat or you have some anxiety, you got to keep doing everything. You were all that good, fueling uh, in all the ways. Um, how do you know that you're, you know, in your own personal marathoning, how you're emotionally and uh, mentally ready for a marathon? Are there like any specific behaviors you've noticed in the past or is it is it just a like a, a roll of the dice every time and you hope for the best? It sounds so silly, like how far I've come and how many marathons I've run. I think I'm coming up on marathon number 12, but it honestly feels like a roll of the dice, like every time. Um, and I haven't had any like big stinkers. I've probably had some A plus marathons, some Bs, and then maybe a, a D plus on some of them. But each time I think it is truly different. Um, but the biggest thing is I try not to compare it to my last cycle because every training block is different. You have different things going on in life. Uh, your body has changed a little bit. So the best thing you can do is to look forward and just like be in the moment as opposed to looking back and trying to overanalyze how you felt before. Um, but personally, what gives me, I guess, some confidence and calms me is I like to go through my training journal or my training log that I've kept throughout the marathon cycle. And I look back and I say, you have put in tremendous work. Uh, you might not have hit all your workouts, but you hit 90% of them. And we tend to always look at that one bad workout instead of the 10 good ones. We say, well, what about that one I tanked? Um, but a marathon cycle, is not built on one marathon workout. You have to look at the accumulation of all the work. So that keeps me really calm, like looking at all the work that I've put in, knowing that I'm going to get to the start line, I'm going to give it my best, and whatever that result is, um, yeah, it's going to be fine. Yeah, I, I love, you know, uh, having those training logs and training journals where we were talking to our runners earlier in the season about how you can keep these and that they really benefit you for checking injury, you know, when you might be approaching an injury or, or an injury patterning that you can find out, but also just for building confidence. Um, and, you know, one benefit 
uh, an opportunity during tapering is that you have a little bit more time on your hands, right? So what do you do with this time on your hands? You might not be, well, what was your mileage before? You went down to 90. And I think I got stuck there and was like, oh my Lord. Uh, you, you now have hours on your hands that you didn't before. What do you do with this time? Well, I forgot to tell you. So the two weeks before, granted, I go down to 90, but then the week of the marathon, I'm all the way down to like 60. Oh so that God. is like super taper. And that sometimes even includes the marathon. So that's like a 40 mile week, you know, with the marathon at the end. But um, you would think it'd be a benefit to have more time. But unfortunately for me, I get into this, like, I'm going to have a baby nesting and it's terrible. I start rearranging my house. I'm <laughs> doing like spring cleaning. And my poor husband, Ben and coach are like, you need to stop doing things. I'm like rearranging furniture. Um, so the taper is not good for me, honestly, because yeah, I'll just, uh, what I do is as like a mom, I'll look back at all the things that I drop the ball on during marathon <laughs> training, because I'm either like, boys, I'm too tired. Mommy's just going to watch a movie. Um, uh, you know, I can't take you to the park today. Um, but then I think I want to make up for all that time during my taper. So I need to really be careful that I don't overdo it uh, during my taper. Sometimes it's good to like leave uh, my house ahead of time. Like if the race is coming up, maybe I leave seven days out so I don't do too much. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think for people who you know, are, are training, they have full-time jobs. Maybe it's a time to like check back in, get a little extra work done. So then when you have the race, you have a few days after the race where you're not catching back up on work. So you could almost like front load what you might have coming up after the marathon to allow for maybe some celebration and maybe a nice like post-race uh, recovery. So yeah, I would just say like, do the little things around your house you might have missed and then um, check in with yourself, make sure you're giving yourself extra, you know, 30 to 40 minutes of sleep a night, make sure nutrition is on point and just check off all the little things uh, because you already put this huge amount of work in over the last, whatever, 12 to 16 weeks that you don't want to, you know, miss any of the details that you could be helping yourself in this taper. Yeah. I think the staying mentally busy is so important, even if it's with work. I also love how you get out of Dodge so you're not pushing sofas around or or whatever it is you need to do, because I think that's so human. I have a uh, one of my really close friends. He ran his first half marathon, did a taper period, and almost quit and didn't make it to the starting line. And I had to tell him, like, this is what a taper is for, for you. You know, you're, he was very anxious. I know you pulled the internet, and I'd love to hear about what the internet told you about their taper responses, because I think this is so indicative of like running culture where we all have it and we might not know about it until you connect us. Yeah, so I think it was before the 2018 uh, New York City Marathon. Um, and I just said, OK, guys, coming up on, you know, taper, give me three words that describe like you or your taper. And it was hilarious. The answers that people had, I'm trying to remember, some people tried to do like alliteration where they had the same letters. There was um, taper temper tantrum. And that was from like a 45 <laughs> year old guy. Um, you know, there was like, please help me. <laughs> it was like, it was just a great array of like, 
we all feel the same way as runners, no matter if you're trying to run 220 in the marathon, you're trying to finish in under five hours, or you're trying to just complete your first one under 10 hours. Um, we all have that common bond of the taper can make us crazy. But if we accept that it's a natural part of the process and a necessary part of resting before the race, I think that can put your mind at ease. And then realizing you're probably going to experience at every marathon and you know, don't overthink it too much. I love it. Um, and so, you know, is this is going to be your first virtual marathon, is that correct? That is correct. All right. So what are you most excited about and what are you most concerned about in this, this virtual racing style? Yeah. So I'm most excited about, um, kind of like channeling the energy. I'm trying to visualize the streets of New York running through the five boroughs and the course that we plotted out here in Arizona. We are just going to try to mimic the five boroughs the best we can. Granted, we're not going to have a million people <laughs> screaming for me, but um, you know, just trying to mentally go through the race and knowing when it's get when it gets difficult around miles 22, 23, just think, okay, you're climbing Fifth Avenue. Now you're going to make that right hand turn into Central Park and you're realizing you are so close to the finish. Um, and then for me personally, like every marathon buildup, it feels like a journey of self-discovery. So I'm just trying to find out what did I learn about myself this marathon cycle and how can I build upon it and what it's going to do for me for the future. And that is giving me kind of a lot of, um, yeah, calm confidence and I guess calmness when I'm essentially going to be, you know, doing it by myself and not having the competition aspect or the crowds. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to. I don't know if there's anything that I'm not looking forward to because honestly, I love running so much. I love training and competing. It's what I do for a living. So the fact that I get to wake up every day and get paid to do what I love is a privilege. So it's rare that I, um, you know, dislike any part of it. Maybe the taper I dislike, but um, <laughs> I, I think obviously that's what this was all about. You know, it's a necessary part of the, the training block, but I'm really excited. Well, we hope your taper goes well. We hope your race goes better. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much. It was really fun chatting. Hello, this is Anha from Mongolia. I'm a guide and volunteer for Achilles International Mongolia. I'll be running New York City Virtual Marathon this year. My best advice for the marathon runners is to keep your pace as steady as you can. I know it is hard to fight the urge to run fast when a race starts, but practicing a little self-control could get you to the finish line. Wish you all good luck and see you at the finish line. Hi, this is Moji from Mongolia. I'm a Kellis International Mongolia runner with a disability. Our team is running the virtual New York City Marathon in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. My best advice for the runners with disabilities and their guides when they are assembling their support is to make sure that my support team doesn't forget to bring warm and dry clothes at the finish line and a big thermos of hot tea. This is important as it's already very cold here in Mongolia.
Thank you so much to our Achilles International runners from Mongolia for sending in their virtual marathon tips. And we want to let everyone know about this incredible event the Achilles Mongolia chapter is putting together. So Achilles International will be live streaming across social media channels Achilles Mongolia chapter's participation in the virtual TCS New York City Marathon. So there's about 150 Achilles International members who will be running the virtual marathon this year, including athletes with disabilities from Achilles Brazil, uh, Ecuador, Peru, New Zealand, Russia, Poland, Japan, and Norway. And the Achilles Mongolia chapter is organizing a physical marathon with about 100 members, guides, and volunteers at the start line. The live stream will begin at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, October 23rd. So you can have a fun Saturday night watching them on the East Coast as they are racing Sunday morning in Mongolia. Join to support and watch these incredible athletes on their virtual marathon journey. Good luck to them all. Thanks again to Heidi and Steph. If you want to learn more about the performance services at Hospital for Special Surgery, head to hss.edu. And to learn more about Steph and her journey, you can follow her on Instagram at Steph Rothstein. Thank you to our team who always make this show happen, executive producer John Phillips, producer Steve Mura, Ben Delaney, Sam Dupuy, Gordon Bakoulis, Lily Corsaro, and Ted Doyle, and our engineer and editor, Craig Gorbanoff. Also, check out our newest YouTube series called Long Runs, Short Stories, A Virtual Marathon Story. We are telling the stories of virtual marathoners just like yourself around the globe. You can find that by heading to YouTube and searching New York Roadrunners. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.